Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey guys, Ryan here. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is a labor of love every week. And with that comes many different costs to keep the show running. That's where our Patreon campaign comes in. You give what you think the show is worth. There's different rewards available all the time, including shoutouts on the show, early editions of main episodes, bonus episodes and content, and very soon, monthly patron hangouts, where we sit back and chat all things UFOs. So I hope you'll consider becoming a Patreon subscriber today. To learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support and keep looking up. From the early 1950s until 2009, a department in the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense documented and investigated reports of UFOs. In 2007, many of those formerly classified reports had been made available to the public for the very first time. Here, Nick Pope, former staff member for the UFO desk at the MOD, explains why this release of files occurred. December 2007, the Ministry of Defense made a policy decision to release its entire archive of UFO files. 12,000 sighting reports going back to the 50s, policy files, files on how to handle this subject when it's raised in Parliament or by the media, public correspondence files, all sorts of files. Why was this decision taken? Three main reasons. Reason number one, the French government had recently disclosed their archive of UFO files. Um, CNES, the French National Space um, Research Institute, has custody of, of the UFO issue in France, but they had made a decision to release their files. So many people tried to log on to the website that it crashed. An indication, though, of the phenomenal public and media interest in this subject. But the French government disclosed, and that set a precedent which made it more difficult for us in, in the UK to uh, hold out on, on this. Uh, the second reason is that the Ministry of Defence felt, and the government felt in, in a wider sense, that this would be an interesting issue on which to demonstrate the government's commitment to open government and freedom of information. The third reason is, I, I think, the most interesting one. The Ministry of Defense receives more FOI requests on UFOs than any other single subject. There is immense interest in this subject in, in the UK, immense pressure on the government, and of course the workload involved in responding to these Freedom of Information Act requests on a case-by-case -case basis was intolerable. And the flip side, the downside of that, is that the people doing now the job that I was doing in the early 90s are spending so much time on responding to these FOI requests that they're having very little time to do anything which 
could be remotely categorized as meaningful in terms of investigation or research into the phenomenon. I, I think that's a, a serious issue. So, for all those reasons, in December 2007, the MOD made that policy decision. We are going to release the whole lot. The UK's fascination with the UFOs spiked around 1950, prompting the MOD to form the Flying Saucer Working Party to address the phenomenon according to the UK National Archives. UFOs in the early 1950s even captured the attention of Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who sent a memo to his air minister in 1952, asking, quote, What does all this stuff about flying saucers amount to? What can it mean? What is the truth? End quote. The Flying Saucer Working Party concluded that UFOs were either hoaxes, delusions, or ordinary objects that were misidentified, recommending, quote, that no further investigation of reported mysterious aerial phenomena be undertaken. Since then, it has been rumored that UFO investigations continued in some capacity within the MOD. But many who witnessed UFOs that were reported to the MOD certainly didn't believe that what they saw was a hoax, a delusion, or a misidentification. One of those witnesses was Milton Torres. Torres was a United States Air Force pilot. Stationed overseas in 1957 during the Cold War, Torres not only witnessed a UFO over the English countryside, but was ordered to fire upon it. After over 50 years of remaining silent on what happened that day, he finally came forward with his story after these MOD files vindicated his account. This is the story of Milton Torres and his official orders to shoot down a UFO. The MOD released the story that I've kept since 1957. What a relief. I can talk about it. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Milton Torres joined the U.S. Air Force in 1951 and was commissioned as a lieutenant in 1954, serving in Britain as a fighter pilot. In 1961, he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in engineering and became a range control officer at Cape Canaveral for the Gemini and Apollo space programs. Later, he flew 276 combat missions in the Vietnam War and earned 13 air medals, including the Distinguished Flying Cross. He attained the rank of Major before retiring from military service in 1971. He'd seen many things in the skies during his decorated career, but it was in 1957 that something in the skies would change his life forever. It was May 20th, 1957, 
Torres was stationed at RAF Manston, an Air Force base in East Anglia, England. This is his story, in his own words, as he recalls what happened that extraordinary day. When I first came to Manston, the first thing we had to do was to, quote, transition to the new airplane. Well, I was already transitioned. I was uh, trained at Perrin Air Force Base in Texas, which did nothing but train F-86D pilots. Okay, when I got there, we had everybody in the squadron had to get up to speed at the same level. We went fired rocketry at Tripoli. We did all kinds of things. Once we finally knew what we were doing, so they say, they put us on alert. That we had to take a share of the alert. This is for the RAF and the USAF, depending on whoever, which airplanes were on, on duty. We would be on alert, waiting to be scrambled. Now, the scrambles usually were nothing more than uh, some airliner that was lost or or somebody up there that was in trouble and they wanted us to come up and, and lead them in. That's usually what happened. When I got this scramble, this is a different story. We were at the end of the runway in our alert shack, waiting for a scramble order, and I got it. It was somewhere near midnight. I remember the exact time, but it was very close to midnight. I scrambled, we got into the airplane, and took off. The minute I took off, I checked into the GCI site, which was given to me when I took off, and GCI advised me, pick up a heading of 120 and go gate, which I was already at gate, which means going to afterburner all the way. The, the, the soup was so thick, you couldn't see any lights, you couldn't see anything. Uh, it, was the, it was a set of clouds that went from the ground up to 32,000 feet, and I couldn't see a thing. It was one of these pea soup fogs that they had in England at the time. And during this, these Pisu fogs, this is when they were, they were burning coal, mostly in England, and therefore the fogs were really tough. So anyway, the, the minute I got airborne, there was, there was, actually before I got airborne, they in, indicated this would be a hot fire measure. Hot fire? I turned and I says, you will be ordered to fire 24 rockets. Well, that's a very... Uh, heavy order, the, the kind of order that you de demand an authentication. So I picked up my little matrix and, and went through the authentication procedure and I looked down and they gave me two letters. Uh, they said, yes, this is our problem. That means I have to fire. First, I, I, my first concern was, Jesus, this is the first shot of the World War III. I didn't want to hear that, you know, but Nevertheless, that's what, it, what, what, what ran through my mind. I, I just went through the motions. I was ordered to fire on this machine, and I was going to fire on it. I was going to salvo rockets, 24 of them. That was my orders, 24 rockets. That's the whole load of shot. So as far as I was concerned, that was my orders, and that's all I was going to do. And being a good fighter pilot, I thought anyway, I'm going to obey my orders. And salute and say yes sir and proceed ahead I had no idea what it was so we continued on the mission I selected the rockets I was ready to go they advised me uh, to turn on a heading there'd be a firing we, we, we actually made what they call an intern vector so that means my wingman was about five miles behind me would turn we would turn on the same vector and we would come into this 
whatever it was, a bomber or whatever. They, they advised me, look uh, on your port side at about uh, 15 miles, that's where it's at. Sure enough, there it was. As big, as I said before, as big as an aircraft carrier as far as the blip was concerned. It was an easy lock-on, very easy. My radar was telling me that I was giving, I got about 200 knot overtake on him, over what he was going, and I was going at Mark point, uh, 0.92, and uh, being Mark 1 would be around 750. We couldn't go that fast. At any rate, I had a, a solid lock, and now uh, came in the target, and uh, it gives you a circle on the radar, and uh, in that circle, they have another little circle, and it has the chisel band. The chisel band is the, is the band you see on the radar when it goes round and round, except in our case it was held still because I was locked on. Anyway, as I was going in, uh, I looked up there, my overtake was holding at about uh, 250, 300 knots, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, closure rate. And then all of a sudden, uh, I got the, the, the started to shrink. This means uh, I'm, I'm going to tell him, I said, Judy, you know, which means to them that uh, I've got to complete intercept on my own. I'm ready to fire. I pulled the trigger and nothing happened, but it, it was coming in and just about two or three seconds to go. It's supposed to go into a flat line where I just put the, 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 the dot on the, on the line and the, the radar takes over all computations and fires the missiles if I have it depressed. Well, that didn't happen. Next thing I know, I look up, I see the jizzle band was in center, and this blip was going straight north, straight away from me, and uh, away from me, and it was going at, at I estimate, Mach 10, because it was so fast. And the, the, the RAF told me this time that we've lost our, our target, even off our, our radar completely, we have a 250-mile scope, and he's gone. And I said, well, he's gone with me, too. He's, it's out, he's out of range. I'm returning and going home. So I did, and, I, and they back to be the home plate. At any rate, when, that's when they told me that uh, call me on the landline, and I got the rest of the information on the landline. Then they told me that the, the British were sending somebody down from London to debrief me, and that's all that happened that day. Torres landed and was told to wait to hear from his superiors. He was then ushered into a room in the squadron operations area where a well-dressed American civilian in a dark blue trench coat was waiting for him. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And this guy, the, the spook comes in, and I had no idea who he was or what. Anyway, he flashed a card that wasn't a national security, but it was an official government bag. He was a spook, that's all I knew. So I told him the whole story, and he told me, no uncertain terms, don't tell anybody that this has been declared top secret, and if you open your mouth to anybody, that includes your commander or your wingman or anybody else, you open up your mouth to anybody, and it says, we'll get you off of flying status. That was enough for me to be quiet for the rest of the time. And for over 52 years, Torres kept silent, but the event never left his mind. It ate away at him for many years, knowing that he had to keep his oath of silence. And then the MOD files were released. And within the pages was a lengthy written statement by Torres about what he had experienced. At the 2009 X conference, alongside Nick Pope, Torres had this to say about what he believed it was that he witnessed that night in the skies above East Anglia. I have convinced myself that this was an alien spacecraft because he did things that my airplane couldn't do or no other airplane could do. And he had speeds that were infinite compared to what I could handle. And I think he had a propulsion system that was controlled anti-gravity or something because he just took off. I don't know how the hell he did it without being plastered up against the ceiling because there were G-forces going on there that I, I couldn't even imagine. So I have been convinced since then that was an alien and nobody's going to talk me out of that one. I did it myself. While these assertions were Taurus's and his alone, what did other fighter pilots think of his statement? Former USAF fighter pilot Chris Leto read the statement and here gives his thoughts. I think it's uh, quite compelling, man. All his words, everything he uses, the actual account, the way he wrote it, his, his preciseness with certain things, certain, certain details, how he talks, you know, really seems like this is a legit and compelling case. So you have something very large, very, very large, that was picked up by ground radars. So the RAF ground control intercept could actually see it, right, and was able to direct his aircraft onto it. So you had, it was seen by the ground radars and it was picked up by his fighter radar, okay? So if you're talking about jamming, how do you jam multiple different radars at different angles and different frequencies? Very, very difficult and not like that, okay? That is possible in certain minute instances, but you know, I was electronic attack expert for four years at the aggressors and I can tell you it's very difficult in 1957. I don't see how that would happen. And accelerate away, I mean, amazing. This guy obviously thinks 
he was fighting something real out there. It sounds like it sounds like he was. So I don't know. While Chris Alito finds the case fascinating and accurate in terms of how Torres recalled the event and how it played out between the ground crew and in the cockpit, this doesn't mean that this aircraft carrier-sized UFO was definitely alien. Could there be a more earthly explanation? Noted UFO historian and researcher David Clark gives his thoughts on what the UFO could have possibly been. Was it really a UFO? Was it a um, uh, some kind of Soviet aircraft that had been seen? If so, who gave the orders to fire on it and why? Uh, the only other possible explanation is that maybe um, the pilot was involved in some kind of experiment involving electronic warfare. Uh, because we now know, because the CIA have admitted this, that um, they did have a program in the 1960s called Palladium, which involved the creation of phantom aircraft on radar. And this was done basically to fool um, the Russians and, and so that they could test the capabilities of Russian radar systems. And so maybe there's a remote possibility that perhaps what this pilot had seen was some kind of experiment in electronic warfare, or maybe it was a UFO. No matter what it was or wasn't that Milton Torres witnessed, he was convinced it was from another world. And while we may never truly know what it was, the release of the MOD UFO files, which included his written testimony, was vindication enough for him to finally tell his story. A story of a pilot and a man truly changed by this mystery, somewhere in the skies. The MOD released the story that I've kept since 1957. What a relief. I can talk about it. Audio clips for this episode are credited to Edit International. Ron Leitner, Chris Lido, and UFO TV. Please take just a few moments to rate and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find the show. It helps us gain visibility and find new listeners. Follow us on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and on Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. Links to our YouTube channel, official store, and website can all be found in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.